0: Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope You Hear This podcast. Today I have with me EJ Lee. He is the operations director at Good Places and the executive director at Atlanta Run Club. And today he came by to talk to us about his time as a pastor and the situation where he really needed to figure out whether he was gonna compromise his convictions and beliefs or stick to his guns. So yeah, I hope you guys listen, get inspired by what happens and Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, EJ. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for, for being on. Um, and for those of you guys who don't know EJ, and you live in Atlanta, I am surprised by that admission. Um, I feel like, EJ, you have such a extensive network. Um, a lot of people I know um know you like a lot of people just in Atlanta I feel like know you um and I, I think that speaks to your character and like your impact um to the community so yeah if, if you could uh, for those of you who don't for those of the listeners who might not know you can you give us kind of a brief intro who you are what you do and kind of your history with Atlanta
1: sure yeah uh thanks David for for having me on and um you know I'm <laughs> yeah it kind of makes me you know turn my head a little bit when you say that uh people know me because i feel like i could kind of go you know it could be really good or it could be really bad um depending but you did throw in the character piece so maybe maybe that's good i don't know even that still is questionable at times so anyway all that to say um yeah i'm name's ej uh it's short for Unjin. um yeah i can i can go for hours but just about my name if so if anyone's ever talked uh, knows me. Um, you know, I, my, legally, my name's John. Um, my name's John Lee. I go by EJ, uh, largely because yeah, somewhere, somewhere in in my wandering and trying to discover myself. Like I felt like, you know, getting back to my Korean roots and my name and my birth name was really important. Uh, and then realizing that engine is actually a girl's name. And that was, that really threw me off a little bit. Uh, But, you know, I'd always heard that, but I've never met another engine until oh. I did. And then that became really confusing. So, um, yeah, anyway, so the, well, that's, hence, that's actually, hence the EJ. That's right? really
0: interesting because usually it's the other way around. Like my legal name is my Korean name, Donghun, but I go by David. Although legally oh. speaking, I'm not a David at all. Um, so that's that's interesting that it's you kind of wanted to find your roots and then you went back to your birth name.
1: Huh. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I hated John. I mean, but again, I mean, we could probably spend the whole podcast talking about, you know, uh, how, you know, we we all kind of have a desire to be different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we always want to make our mark and separate ourselves in some way, right? Usually good, but sometimes bad. Um, But yeah, I just didn't like John Lee. It was just kind of vanilla. And then in my church, like there were so many John Lees and Mm. Anyway, so so that happened. Uh, but yeah, I was born and raised here in Atlanta. Um, Atlanta's home, you know, and that's why I love the city. I care about the city. I root for the city and I fight for the city. Um, I'm a recovering pastor now, uh a real estate developer. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm sure we'll get get into it a little bit more. But um, I feel like I, I try to use real estate and, and development in particular as a vehicle um, to do the work that I really feel like God's called me to do, you know, yeah. which is, you know, helping communities. So anyway, I'm sure we'll get there if we don't, yeah. want,
0: you know? Yeah. So yeah. before we get there though, um, I want to ask you about, cause you, it's interesting. You put it as recovering pastor. Um, and <laughs> I wanted to ask you, it's, it's, actually more for personal benefit. So mm-hmm. just, just a little history. Um, I used to go to a church called Huntbeat, um, the korean term for one light and i went there for many years and then finally i left that church to go to my parents church because my parents were pretty much begging me to come to their church to attend one church as a family um so i left in 2010 yeah the beginning of 2010 i left and i heard soon thereafter you took over as the em pastor there at hampi right but then, um, because, you know, I, I had a lot of friends there still, uh, later, I, I forget how long it was, Like I, I forget how long your tenure at Hampi uh, was, but I heard about the kind of the way that you and the church uh, split ways. Um, it was an interesting story to me. So I was wondering if, because I never heard it from you, um, do you think you could kind of explain to us the circumstances in which, um, I guess, your employment at Humpy started and then how it eventually ended?
1: Yeah, no, of course. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, you're, you're actually taking me way back. Um, so I'm gonna have to, so, some of all the details are a little bit foggy, but hmm. from what I can remember, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not that old <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago. So um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, just to kind of give you a little context, um, I, I actually was introduced to Hanbeet By one of my professors um, at Columbia Theological Seminary, right? So David Che was an interim pastor at Humbeat at the time, and um, you know, just kind of make a long story short. You know, he asked me to be uh, to come and speak at one of the youth retreats, the winter youth retreat, and I loved it. I mean, I loved the the um, the students, and you know, and just there was this kind of instantaneous like. I don't know, like Chung. I don't know if... Mm-hmm. You know, like, I just had a lot of chong. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I don't know how... Like, charm, charisma. You know, the students were... I mean, they're just really lovely. And, you know, when I when I was there, I just... I loved... Uh, I really bonded with them. You know, so... Uh, and not to mention... Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention this part. Is um, my, my wife's cousin is Jason Han. Right, right. Right, so... <laughs> Yeah. So that was, you know, and he was in college and, you know, and he loved the Lord and he was like serving, you know, and this is right after Kitten Allison had left mm. uh, and was, you know, in Korea. And so it really just kind of broke my heart. It was like, a, you know, a bit of like sheep without a shepherd. And you got between, you know, Jason, I don't know if I can drop names, mm-hmm. um, but Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'll just drop Jason because his family it doesn't really matter. But Jason and, you know, um and a couple other college students who were just kind of really devoted to to caring for for uh the students there and and so yeah i i uh, uh you know when I graduated I uh, agreed to come and and uh, pastor and it was cool because you know though David Che was um the interim pastor you know he he just really understood you know uh first and second generation he was a you know obviously a seminary student or seminary professor that um uh taught a lot of asian american students and just really had an understanding of the landscape and he had been in the game for a long time and so he gave me a lot of an- like autonomy hmm. uh for the ministry and he he just really supported me a lot i mean he didn't i don't know if he necessarily like uh mentored me per se like when I don't recall ever sitting in there but he, he you know he did give me a lot of just freedom to dream and and just pursue whatever I you know he felt I felt like the lord was putting on my heart and straight out of seminary I mean you got a lot of ambitions and dreams and I really was trying and hoping and believing that Humbet would become one day like a an EM hmm. right yeah. um yeah regardless of size like we would be self-sufficient that's what i meant you know right. not not like just a an offshoot of the korean church um that happened to speak english but literally a church you know um for the second generation and that was like that was a vision that was a dream um and i and i, I kind of ran it that way you know right. in the sense that i told the km i was like hey send me as a second generation. Uh, missionary, or, you know, send me as a missionary to the second generation, right? Like, and, you know, uh, just give me a stipend, you know? And you don't have to worry about any ministry budget. Like, we will we will raise it, uh, you know, from our own offering. And mm-hmm. what we don't raise and we don't have, then we won't use, you know? And so I wanted to try to create the sense of, like, you know, ownership mm-hmm. um, and try to take them out from being like, you know, at their parents' church, essentially. So it was like two years of that. And I was just kind of working through that. And under the covering of Reverend Che, like, it seemed okay. It seemed like the, the elders were okay with that, you know. Um, they were just happy people were showing up, you know what I mean? Because when yeah. I first got there, literally there was 11 students You know, and that's including, like, the college students, the three college students, and then the handful of families that were there. Literally, on my first Sunday there, I was 11 students. And um, and by the end, you know, there was, you know, 50-ish, you know, which is pretty sizable in two years, you know. And so we were actually, like, doing really well, like, going on mission trips, like, self-funded mission trips, Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that we didn't have to ask the KM for any money. Right. Uh, literally, uh, we would raise all of it. Car washes. If it took a year and a half to fundraise, we did that, you know, uh, and which was the case for India. So the kind of moment that kind of uh, basically um, created this kind of domino effect of me having to, to resign as the pastor at Hambi basically started like... Maybe a year prior to that, where um a a permanent pastor got called and David left. Hmm. Reverend Che left. And at that point, that pastor and the the session at the time, the elders, I don't you know, and this is my interpretation, but there was a bit of a power play, I think. Hmm. Uh one because, you know, I was uh you know, it was a measly stipend, but I was making I think Eighteen hundred dollars a month, yeah. um, ish, sixteen or eighteen. I don't remember. It was less than two thousand mm-hmm. a month. Mm-hmm. You know, so full time, full time work, part time pay, fine. That's totally cool. Um, but they were really starting to try to cut budget. Um, they were really trying to get handles and kind of reclaim the church, right? Because mm-hmm. they had a new pastor and now they, you know, had plans. Um, and so I I began to notice like they were a lot more kind of interested in what I was doing, um, et cetera, et cetera. But people were showing up, so it was fine, you know. Uh, make a long story short, um, we were supposed to go to India initially in the the summer of twenty twelve. Okay, um, but for whatever reason, like we didn't raise enough money. Hmm you know, um, and we bought the tickets, we just didn't raise enough money, because I had a target, I don't remember what the target was, but we didn't have money, and we were fundraising, but the money wasn't coming through, and I just felt like, you know, in my spirit, like, I was like, you know what, I don't think we're supposed to go to India right now, hmm. you know what I mean, like, I just, I don't think we're ready, I I just don't think um, God wants us to go, right, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a call I'd had to make, you know, and we were, you know, I mean, you, you've been on mission trips, right? Like, it's just, that's just a lot of preparation, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it wasn't like we're going to Mexico, not to say that there's anything wrong with Mexico, but we're going to India, you know? So it's it's a big commitment. Um, but uh, all that to say, like, you know, so we cut the trip. And between the time that we cut the trip and the next summer, the pastor came, right? Mm-hmm. But at that point, we didn't, can score tickets. We actually postponed the tickets. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. Like, so we didn't actually cancel the tickets. We had the tickets. We just didn't have enough money to get us through the trip. Mm. Plus actually bless the people that we're trying to go to be a blessing to Right. right. Like, you know, um, and so, um, yeah, so we just honestly, so we fundraise that whole next year. Right. And we just stayed on it. Like, we just continued to pursue and just say, you know what? It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, and let's just keep Mm -hmm. going after it. And, you know, and there was a dedicated group, like six of us, uh, and they were all college students, right? So the youngest one uh, was going to graduate that summer. So she was a senior and then graduated and then was going to go her freshman summer before her freshman year. So we're all college students. As far as I'm concerned, we're all young adults. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were just working, you know to to make this happen. Sorry, this is actually getting really long. No, it's great. Um, but um, somewhere in between there, that year was a very like hard year in India. It just got really dark, and all the news that was coming out of India was really bad, particularly around, um, you know, just how women were being treated, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was just really bad stuff coming out of India. Um, and it was all in the news internationally and stuff like that. And so some of the parents caught hold of that, and they were saying, like, oh, my gosh, India is such a bad place, and it's so, you know, it's just bad. And, you know, and and they kept on kind of saying that to me, and I'm like, well, that's why we're going. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, we've been training. This is why the Lord's been – gave us an extra year to get ready for this – this moment yeah. you know what i mean like as far as i'm concerned like there's no turning back now mm-hmm. you know like uh, not to mention like everyone's already kind of bought in um and so i kept on saying no it's fine you know and and i was trying to explain to them i was like look that's mumbai right like that's mm-hmm. that's we're going to Andhra pradesh like we're going to you know about ba- like it's 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 on the other side like literally i was like One of the arguments that I was giving, and this is towards the end, like towards, okay, so we're scheduled to leave July 2nd, Mm -hmm. okay? I remember all of this, Uh, like like it was yesterday. Supposed to leave July 2nd. Right around, like, May, they started putting on a lot of pressure, like, even the pastor was like, I don't think you should go, Mm -hmm. you know, like, do you have to go? You know, he pulled me aside and he's like, how's the mission funding coming along? Like, they were really hoping, like, you know, we weren't having enough money. And I was like, no, we're actually really good. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, we actually, you know, and I I was just kind of sharing with him how, like, we were blessed. And, you know, these are all of our things that we're going to do. We're going to be able to, you know, buy, like, five cows or four cows for four villages. That's going to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, and I was, like, like, super amped. And I was like, God's doing all this awesome stuff. And rather than like getting excited with me, like he literally kept on, I was like, yeah, well, mm. and if you know this pastor, he's hilarious. He's, mm. And he just kept on, he just wouldn't say a lot of words, but he would just make a lot of noises. <laughs> but you knew they were very disgruntled noises. And, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and so they kept on bringing it up and they would have interventions. Like, so the session would call me in, they would bring in like the Korean newspaper and show me these things. That was happening and they're like it's so dangerous and I'm like you're right we have to go mm, you know what I mean yeah and uh you know in this one in the, the one argument they're like uh you know now this is where I was like that happened in Mumbai we're going to Bizag. hey did you know that there was a bombing in Boston uh should we leave Atlanta <laughs> you know I was like should we move to LA oh wait LA had a earthquake should we go you know i was just trying right. obviously i was being kind of a yeah you know, i was being petty but at the same time like i, I felt like it was just a pretty ridiculous thing yeah. to pull out something from a newspaper that happened in a city that was literally 24 hour flight away from oh. where we're going wow <laughs> okay, yeah. maybe not 24 hours but literally it's like a a whole nother flight like another five hours yeah. between cities you know what i mean so and you know and you're It's like New York City versus like, you know, rural Oklahoma, you know? So um, I was just kind of like, you know, it's just, this is not making sense. So yeah, it it just kind of persisted this way, but I kind of stuck to my guns and I kept on saying, look, like, you know, this is, this is the moment that we've been kind of waiting for. This is why, you know? And I was like, look, if we didn't have any students, like if we had any youth kids, I would understand, but these are all college students. What do you think they're going to do when they go to college? Like, you know what I mean? Like, This is this is what this is what I as far as I was concerned, I was like, this is what the church is for, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's preparing them and equipping them um with the gospel and, and saying, Hey, like, there is something larger on your life, like and you know shouldn't be fearful. I mean you should be wise, but you should you shouldn't be fearful. Mm-hmm. Um and you know and basically it just kinda of going back and forth and I just kept on saying, Look, I can't I can't cancel the trip now. mm mm-hmm. Right. It was, it was May, you know? Yeah. It it was the end of May. We were leaving in less than, in like a month. Mm -hmm. And they're like, keep on canceling. I was like, can't you go to Mexico? And I was like, I even like pulled up like the travel advisor warnings. And I was like, look, India's not on here. Guess what? Mexico's on here. (laughs) Like literally, I was like showing them. I was like, Mexico's on here. Like India's fine, you know? Um, But they were just so like adamant that we shouldn't go to India. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, I, I made like kind of a, a promise. I was like, "Look, we've been planning this trip for over like over eighteen months. You know, um, Just let me go, and I promise on the next trip, we will have more buy-in, right? Because I kind of planned it without them. I get it. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask for permission, mm-hmm. right uh, But I talked to the interim pastor. And he was like, cool, you know, because before that, we went to Costa Rica. Before that, like, we traveled to IHOP. Like, I mean, we were like doing things, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. This story is getting really long. No, no, but no, no. It's,
0: it's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm going
1: to land the plane. This is what happened. <laughs> Two days, literally, we're leaving on Tuesday, uh, Sunday. Um, I asked the finance chair to release the money that had been donated to Humbeat. Because I need to take it with me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he said, "No." What? Yeah, because uh, you know, I mean, obviously, support rent, che- uh, support checks, and you know, all this stuff was all made out the hambit, et cetera, et cetera. I and I was like, I was like, I need, I need the money, you know, like, can you know, because we leave on, we're leaving on Tuesday. Yeah, this is Sunday afternoon after service. And he's like, we can't because oh sorry one more one more pe- important piece of information I, I, I made everyone sign a release waiver uh basically saying that humbeat as a church was not liable for anything that might happen on this trip mm-hmm. like we were going completely independent we we went to a bank together as a team got it all notarized like literally was like as like official and legit as we could possibly make it because the church just didn't want to have any liability in the case that something happened while we were at the church or on the trip and they would be held liable Mm -hmm. and sued and it wouldn't look good. I was trying to explain to them, what if we do something great for the kingdom of God? Like, do you still not want any, you know, of that glory? Right. I was like, you know, it can go both ways. Like I could see where you're, you're trying to, you know, cut your risks, but, (laughs) Uh, you're cutting out your glory too, and um, but they were like, you know. So I signed these paperwork. I thought I was like, all right, fine. Maybe this is this is what it's going to take, right? Um, and then that Sunday, I guess they had huddled up that morning, and basically was like, we can't give you the money, but because this if is we give you the
0: money. This is money that was uh-huh. donated specifically for the trip, though, right?
1: Of course. <sighs> wow. Of course, yeah. they they didn't they didn't give us. Ascent, Mm. nor did we ask to get asked, you know, all we literally asked was that they would pray and bless us. And they were like, no.
0: Wow.
1: Right. You're going on your own. So I was like, fine, we'll go on our own again. I was young, like I was younger. I'm still young, David. (laughs) All right. Just for the record. (laughs) Of course. Let it be known (laughs) that I am still young. I was younger uh, and, you know, obviously a bit headstrong but I I really believed it, man.
0: Yeah,
1: I really do. And I still do. I mean, obviously you can kind of hear it probably in my voice. Um, I still believe it. And, um, and so when he, he basically, uh, was like, you can't do it. I, I went, I kind of snapped. I was like really upset, Mm. you know, because this is, this has gone just too ridiculous, you know? And, and, uh, and I went to the pastor and I pleaded with him. I was like, look, you know, I was like, I can't, I can't not go and then show up next Sunday and preach obedience or preach anything of the gospel. Like, I, you're basically like making me, you're giving me no, no choice, yeah. you know. And he was just like, we can't be liable. And I was like, well, that's not your money. You know, yeah. I'm like, it was literally $22,000. I was like, it's not your money. Wow. You know, and, uh, and we're going to, I need to get that money back, you know. And so we literally sat there and he wrote checks back to every single person for 18 months. And we sat in his office for <sighs> two and a half hours. I'm like fuming, you know. <laughs> and uh And we sat down, and I was like, "Make you know a hundred dollars to so and so, two hundred and fifty dollars to so and so, a thousand dollars to so and so, you know, and literally was just like, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, when it was all said and done, it was probably you know because we got cash too, so um, I had the cash, I just didn't have the checks, mm-hmm. right, and so when it was all said and done, it was probably close to maybe about. I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand dollars ish. You know, because I remember having seven thousand dollars in cash, and uh, and uh, wrote it all out. Um, and I had just had a, like a grip of checks, and we're leaving on Tuesday Sunday night. I called my parents. I'm like furious. I don't like. I don't know what to do. I was mm-hmm. like, we're leaving, and we have no money. You know, we have seven thousand um, dollars. Oh, and before that, um, he um, as he was writing the checks, what happened right before that was when I actually resigned, I guess that was the whole point of this whole story was, um, you know, they were like, you're not going to go and not, not as a member of Humbeat, you know? And I was like, Hey, I signed that, I signed that notarized form. I'm not going, I'm not going to claim Humbeat. you know, I'm not taking any Humbeat t-shirts, like literally I'm going, you know? And, uh, you know, he was like, "No, but you're, you know, you're still, you're still a m- member of this church, so you can't go." You know, as a staff, and I was like, "Fine." Then I resign. and so oh. like I, I, I wrote, you know, and I still have it upstairs, actually, this letter that says, "I, John E. Lee, you know, on this date, resign as the, you know, uh, pastor of the English Ministry at Humbeat or whatever." Wow. Dated it, um, turned it in, and was like, "All right." you got to start writing some checks. And so we sat down and started writing all the checks. And um, I left. Um, yeah, it was crazy. And I, and I walked away and left. And I didn't know how to tell the team. I didn't know how to, I didn't, you know, I mean, everyone kind of knew what was going on. But um, they didn't really know. And so, yeah. And then, of course, you know, God comes through. You know, I'm, like, calling all my close friends and saying, Hey, like, you're not going to get a tax break, but can you write the check out to me? you know, mm. um, and I need it tomorrow cause I'm leaving Tuesday, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, I had to borrow some money from my parents and I, you know, obviously I had money and, <clears throat> you know, um, yeah. And we just kind of cobbled it together and we went, you know? Wow. And, uh, yeah. So that's what happened, man. And that's, that's kind of the, the, the kind of glorious yet tragic and uh to my time at Hambit,
0: yeah
1: um the crazy thing is like you know basically I told him I was like look because this happened like after service you know what I mean so everyone's gone mm-hmm. you know and so I was like look I'm gonna come back in two weeks after this trip so It was literally two weeks it was we weren't even gone for that long mm-hmm. like it was a 10-day trip really because if you take out the flight times right the travel time right and um and I was like look I'm I'm going to come back next week. Right. When we get back, I was like on that Sunday, I want to come back and I want to say goodbye because, you know, obviously like I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't just leave and not show up again. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, so, uh, so that was like my one term and I was like, I'm quitting today. I'm not a member, but next Sun on this date, like I will come back to say goodbye to everybody. Um, and, um, yeah. And that's, that was it. And that was goodbye.
0: Wow. that's So, yeah. okay, I, I knew that the India trip was the reason why you left. Mm-hmm. I did not know all the details and, like, all the hurdles and all the obstacles they, they placed in front of you. So, I, I mean, yeah. but how was the trip? How was the, how was the actual mission trip?
1: Oh, dude, it was glorious. Mm. I mean, seriously, like, we... And, you know, and so, so there were six people that went, mm-hmm. right? Uh, me and my wife... Um, uh, a young gentleman and uh, one, two, three, four five. and then the rest were girls mm-hmm. so there were four girls including my wife mm-hmm. and then two guys so six people not a big team obviously it's an expensive trip yeah. um, and it was it became so clear and evident like why the Lord wanted you know because they were like why are there so many girls going they kept on saying like your whole team is just girls you know like why are you taking a bunch of girls to India you know this, that, and the other and, And literally, like, I was like, I don't know. Like, I know we're going to do some ministry with some orphanages. I don't know what God has in store for us, but we're just going to go, like, in faith. Um, And we got there and we knew, like, the first day, like, uh, why God had assembled the team that we did because we had started working with all these at risk girls,
0: Uh
1: teenage girls that I had no idea that we weren't planning to work with them. Yeah. Right. But the night, the day we get there, that morning we get there, starting from that evening, like you know, the girls are just having to minister to all these girls that were at risk, and me and honestly, it was just me and David were just kind of sitting on the side, going like, uh, should, "What should we do?" Mm. <laughs> you know, like you know, like we should just pray and just cover over them. But literally, the ministry was theirs, you know, and and that was like that literally almost the whole trip, um, you know, and so it was just a huge like one of those moments where you just kind of said hey like it was worth it you know Mm. um it was worth me losing my job like it was worth you know uh you know just kind of everything Mm. you know in the sense that you know you realize in those moments that like the things that are most important will cost you the most Mm. you know yeah um and granted it was too two weeks, and I don't know what the long-term lasting impact was, but like I said, we were able to give, you know, uh, cows to, you know, four villages. We were feeding, we were praying, we were blessing, we are preaching the gospel girls, you know, the girls were being healed and, you know, I mean, it was just, just two weeks of just glory, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I mean, those, those mission trips are, those are difficult. Um, in the sense that they're so short, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean the trip itself was is pretty pretty dope.
0: That's amazing, and you know that it just makes me think about the. I think that's a symptom of one of the the reasons why we have, I, I guess, well, so I guess that's a manifestation of of the tension that the first gen Korean American church, I guess the first generation, the second generation have, right. Um, It's a, I would consider it an extreme case um, because I just, well, I guess, I don't know. I don't have that much experience with that level of tension between the first gen and the second gen. But man, how does that make you feel about the church dynamic that Korean Americans have, right? Because at least in Atlanta, there are maybe one or two really independent English ministries that are comprised of like Asian Americans, right? most of the english ministries are attached to a church in some sense right especially financially right so i mean dude did that experience kind of change the way you think about the dynamic between the first gen and the second gen at all
1: um, um it honestly it just kind of reaffirmed a little bit of the things that i already had kind of a a preconceived notion or kind of a working hypothesis. Mm. I think I was trying to work really hard to try to create an alternative script, Mm. right? An alternative, like an alternative narrative for our generation uh, when it came to church, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, A homegrown, you know, and again, I was super super young idealistic. Um, I keep saying that, uh, cause I, I, do feel a little naive looking back at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I think I fought a good fight. Um, I think at the end of the day, no one really won, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can look back and tell the story in a way that I can hold my head up and say, Hey, look, I didn't compromise, but there was no winners, you know, like mm-hmm. we all essentially took a loss. Um, and yeah and and if you ask like hey has it changed my dynamic changed my perception like no it just merely reinforced it Hmm. you know and if it if it did anything it just kind of took the wind out of my sails a bit you know um because like i said i thought i thought we were making moves as a church right like we're super organic like a bunch of misfits that just we're learning to to love god and learning to love each other and you know and try to do something different um, you know, when it came to our faith and, uh, you know, in some way it was like an honor to, to be a part of that. Um, but in some ways it it felt a little premature the way that it all kind of went down. Uh, and you realize that, you know, if, if you're not allowed to stand on the shoulders of the second generation or the generation before you, like it, you really aren't going to be able to to make it very far, Mm. you know? Um, and this is, yeah. And I think it's it's just in life, Right. Like you you build on the previous generation's like legacy and their hard work. And it's this like this continuum, you know, this story that, you know, we all kind of contribute to. Right. And that's that's the way I look at it. Right. And so if one generation doesn't understand that or they want to try to write a different story for the next generation, there's always going to be tension. There's always going to be a disconnect. Right. Like in in some ways, like you're never going to be able to, you know, Uh, to build anything cohesive, anything lasting, you know, Mm -hmm. it's always going to be kind of predicated upon one generation's ability to, to do it, quote unquote, you know, um, on their own. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's a very kind of long winded way of saying it. It it didn't change anything. It reaffirmed it. Mm -hmm. Um, Following that experience, like, you know, just kind of giving you the days after, like I, I was really praying while I was in India. I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, you know? Like, I I literally just kind of left, and it was a bit of a whirlwind, and I didn't really even get the time to really think about what just happened, right? Right. Like, literally, it was just like, it was almost like survival, you know, in the sense that, like, I had to make this work, you know? And, uh, you know, so, you know, those are long flights, and you get a lot of time to sit there and time, reflect and pray and reflect some more, and, you know, just really uh, try to understand. Um, and it was shortly thereafter like you know I felt Lord put on my heart like you know Isaiah 58 Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where 58 was born it was birthed out of literally that experience where I don't know if you heard of 58 but 58 was a ministry that you know I tried to grow in which is a whole other different story but (laughs) to grow within a church like a church that was in a church that didn't really think that it was supposed to be a church. Hmm. It's kind of this weird thing that happened, uh, with 58. Um, but yeah, but that, that, the genesis of that, you know, was, was that, you know? Hmm. Um, so in some ways, like, uh, I, I didn't give up at that point, mm. you know, I tried, I tried, uh, and I went, you know, I had a, a friend, Pastor Daniel at the time, who led Karis, and, you know, he, he, I had been kind of leaning on him a little bit for some wisdom on how to navigate what's been going on. So he was well aware of like kind of the tensions of, you know, everything, you know what I mean? Like, so even leading up to the trip, like he, he was a bit of a confidant. Um, And, you know, so as soon as I got back, like, you know, obviously I started talking to him and, you know, and he was like, come, come to art, you know, come to Karis and, Yeah. anyway, the rest is history. But, Mm. um, you know, so that's, you know, so that was July. And then, you know, I was like, I need a month. And then in August, right as the semester was starting, I launched a college ministry called 58. Mm. Um, Yeah.
0: So, so, yeah, man, can I can I then (laughs) ask you about what do you think about the prospect of kind of having a more reconciled first and second generation Korean church? Like, do you think it's possible? Do you think there's just too much cultural differences there? Or you know, what's your take on that? Having experienced what you experienced?
1: Um, what's your take on it?
0: I'm, So I think I'm naively hopeful. Because um, okay. you were talking about, you know, we need to be... In order for the second generation to grow, like, we need to be able to stand on the shoulders of... The things that the first generation or the previous generation accomplished right like that's um yeah and that makes sense like that's a really uh, straightforward logical way to efficiently you know expound upon the accomplishments of the previous generation right so i see the benefit of it and because of that i'm hopeful and like i want it, there to be more reconciliation um and i never experienced anything as extreme as what you experienced you know i like i i think yours is the only story where like someone i knew personally was like ended up leaving a church because of of like lingering or i guess first and second generation tension um Mm -hmm. so yeah i i i would say i'm naively hopeful but i want to i want to take from someone who actually went through some real stuff um here
1: yeah i you know yeah, I don't if you're naively hopeful I don't I don't wanna um knowingly uh you know take that away from you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I think that's I think you have to be, man. Like I don't again, like if I'd be lying if I said I wasn't hopeful, right? Like uh I don't know if I'm naively hopeful, uh, but I'm again, you know, like I, I have I have hope in the gospel, right? like if if we if everything that we proclaim to be true about the power of the gospel and the power of reconciliation and love and you know everything that we you know in some way have kind of built our life around you know like it 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 would be a bit of a um a misstep to then turn around and say you don't have hope mm. in anything you know yeah. or the church or whatever so i'm always very cautious now has do I have scars absolutely do I have uh, uh, my doubts every day mm. you know uh, but you know it, you know faith is in the absence of doubt right mm-hmm. I mean you've heard that before mm. right like so it's it's your ability to believe in the midst of your doubt that really is how you exercise your faith right yeah. like and um, And so, I think in some way, I I have faith that it's possible. Um, I think the one thing that I would caution anyone with, and even myself, is, like, it doesn't have to look the way that we think it has to look. Mm. Right? It doesn't have to be on the scale that we think it has to be. You know, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, what... Again, I I think we, we have this kind of propensity to aggrandize, um, glory, mm-hmm. right? Even just the word itself, like, you know, so, you know, yeah, so God-sized things are always going to be supersized, you know, and magnified, and, you know, it's going to look a certain way, and it's like this, like we could have never imagined, you know, or hoped for, and In some ways, like it's true, but what if it's on the other side and saying like yeah, it's not what I imagined? But it's on that kind of disappointed side as opposed to the wow side. Mm, Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can literally say the same thing, right? But is it this like awe or is there a sense of disappointment? And at the end of the day, like learning to check yourself and saying, Hey, you know what, like it's wasn 't about me, and it wasn't a, it was not the story that I would have written mm-hmm. for God that I happened to be a part of <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's genuinely God and so I think God sometimes has a sense of humor if we learn not to take ourselves too seriously and transpose our seriousness onto god and you know and and make him out to be in our image as opposed to understanding that we are in his and um yeah so i I, I take a more kind of um you know, just a, a slightly different stance, I guess. Mm. Um, I'd love to see it, man. But there's there's reconciliation between generations. There's reconciliation between race. There's reconciliation that needs to take all over, like, all over the place. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. you know, and I don't think in some way that the Korean church has a monopoly on having to be reconciled. Right. Right. You know, I mean, let's be honest, like... Technically, you know, Korea is the only country that's still in war, <laughs> you know, right. right? Like they haven't even reconciled with themselves, yeah. Yeah. you know, much less the generations that follow them. Like, how can you imagine that, that, that inability... Can then be passed down and exercised just because you gather in a church and has a cross on the building, right? Like there has to be some deep-rooted things that happen. Mm. I think my greatest disappointment, really, David, if I'm being honest, is like some of the church leaders that I see. You know, like um, if I if I can kind of separate out, you know, I think the leaders definitely have a, a greater sense of responsibility. You know, and you know, and if if I take the Bible seriously, they're to be judged more seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a scary. D- It's a scary place. Um, I just don't. I think people have become. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I just. I think my disappointment isn't as a church, as the institution, as much as I am with some of the leadership that I find in the church. Mm -hmm. You know, my Humbeat experience is more geared towards not the church of Humbeat. Like I still have such fond memories of Humbeat. You know, and um, like I said, I think nothing but. Like so much, just a lot of chung, you know, a lot of love, and um, I think my my real kind of pain points are with the leadership. Like you call yourself ordained leaders, mm, yeah. you know, and you guys don't know the gospel, mm. you don't you don't understand who you are stewarding, and you know the young faith that and the lives that you are been entrusted with. Like, and in some way, that irony is this whole thing blew up because they felt like they were right yeah and that's kind of to me kind of the tragedy of the whole story is like they thought they were doing the absolute right thing and i was in the wrong Mm. right and the hard part is i felt like they were in the wrong and we're just not going to find a good eye to eye like i the only rec, the only real compromise that i could come up with was like hey next trip but they weren't they didn't want that right. on the next trip they went in on this trip and we're like all right well then we're at an impasse right you know and something's gonna have to give but yeah i think that was to me the the biggest tragedy looking back at it is like man like you know you're you guys are the leaders yeah like we're looking to you right to help us like release us mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like we're ready you know i mean and sure like yeah i don't know anyway so, yeah, so that's that's kind of my thoughts on the, the generational thing. Um, I think there's a window of t- opportunity and there's an opportunity cost when it comes to everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm afraid that that window's kind of starting to close. Mm-hmm. And, again, not to say, like, the hope isn't there, but this is, again, my my rephrasing and kind of reframing in the sense that Maybe it just doesn't look the way that I thought it was going to look. Oh wow! You know,
0: hmm.
1: you know, and uh, and maybe it it's a bit of circuitous path, hmm. but it's one that only God can take credit for, right? Right. So, again, to expect the unexpected is something that I've learned to kind of posture myself with, but uh, it doesn't always make things easy, hmm. um, you know. So yeah.
0: Wow, I don't know. No, they, does that make sense? No, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, and I, I think, yeah, what you're saying, I think a lot of people who've actually been in the Korean American Church as a second generation congregation member, I think can relate to what you're saying. Um, and yeah, my stance is probably for people who haven't had these kind of difficult situations as, as you have. But uh, I'm glad though. I'm glad to hear, though, that even though you went through this really crazy thing that you're still that that you still hold on to that hope that there is a possibility and and you still see that the reconciliation is kind of a valuable thing that you haven't completely tossed it into the garbage.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And again, I mean, like I was trying to, I guess, say before is like, I think it's because so intimately tied to. the gospel for me Mm.
0: yeah
1: right like if i throw that out then i throw the gospel out Mm -hmm. or i start to make i start having to pick and choose like to what the gospel can really apply to wow right and then you start personalizing it to say the gospel is just about me but not against the institution or anything that's man-made like it starts to really take away from to me what what needs to be intrinsically the the power of the gospel Mm -hmm. and you know it's its ability to yeah, just save, right? Like. Yeah. And so <clears throat> Yeah, so I, I yeah, I I think the reason why I hold on to it is not because I think it's great. Right? I don't I don't think you know, again, we can talk about the church as a whole, but at the vehicle and what it's become is it's not something that I'm like super happy about, you know, yeah. in terms of just you know, um but um, but I believe in the gospel. Mm. And so, therefore, if I proclaim, you know, that, then there's nothing that's really off-limits, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and it's power. So, yeah, I think that's, that's why, right? Like, it's, it's really kind of predicated upon that as opposed to the church and its, you know, just its ability to kind of get its act together. Yeah. Right If I was just looking at that, I'd be like, "No way like you are you are out of your <laughs> mind to think that the church can get its act together and actually become you know what we believe that the church could be and should be, right, but if I don't focus on the church but I'm actually focusing on the thing that powers the church, then I'm like, okay then that that actually I think I can have hope, you mm. know um cautious, but still hope nonetheless right yeah. like and so um oh wow, that's great yeah so i think that's 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 it right <laughs> like that's my that's my that's why you know mm. so um but yeah, yeah. i don't know uh, i don't think we we're trying to talk about trips the whole time <laughs> <were> we? <'Cause
0: laughs> <No>. i was <laughs> gonna ask um how's the how's the <laughs> time look for you are you I mean, do you have like a hard stop at any point
1: um i don't have a hard stop but i do have work yeah. that i probably should do um but i'm good let's just roll i mean whatever
0: because well, then, because I, I definitely yeah. do want to ask you about ARC because um, you're wearing, wearing the hoodie there. Uh, oh, snap. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that wasn't even that wasn't even on purpose. That's how awesome <laughs> this hoodie is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm it's so dope. I just I seem to be the most productive in this hoodie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, for, for longtime listeners, you'll be kind of familiar with what ARC is at Atlanta uh, Run Club. James Rowe was on the podcast at one point who explained it to us and, and all of that. Um, and you have a new role at ARC, right? Do you want to kind of explain what that role is and what you do there?
1: Right. Um, okay. I can explain the first part. The second part I'm still trying to figure (laughs) out. Um, (laughs) uh, so, um, yeah. So, so if you guys are familiar with the Atlanta Run Club, um, ARC, it's, uh, it's a cool little thing that James started, um. Uh, At the end of last year, I mean, this is conversations that were kind of taking place on and off, but um, towards the end of last year, I think we collectively, myself and, you know, everyone involved, um, decided to kind of formalize the Atlanta Run Club. So before it was literally just kind of a, um, I don't know, kind of a social experiment. I don't know how you would describe it, but it wasn't really super formal. It was very informal. And then it had a big race and people started to see the power of uh, its power, like its reach, right? Like in mobilization and ability and largely because of, you know, James and his network and, you know, the people that were involved in it. Um, So with all that being said, like the next iteration was like, hey, like, why don't we turn it into a formal 501c3 and try to um, one, build capacity uh, and scale its impact, right? Like that's, that's my language, obviously. Um, And so, but the best way to do that is, you know, we're going back and forth. Like, should it be a for-profit? What would be the product, service, make it a non-profit? You know, obviously there's pros and cons to both. Landed on it becoming a non-profit. And so we, we got our, our official 501c3 like in November um yeah and i am now kind of the interim uh executive director mm. um i use i i like to use the word interim because i'm not getting comfortable here um but interesting i do understand that there's a lot of work to be done to get uh i think arc uh to that next kind of th- chapter or phase of growth mm. um you know so yeah so that's so what I do, um, yeah, I don't know what I do. I try to bring some leadership, some organization. Really, it's more organization um, to the group, and you know, and try to to get it on a a kind of a growth plan. Mm. You know, because yeah, I I really believe that you know where there's no vision, like people just really wander and yeah. ultimately perish, yeah. right? Like good good passions can only stay lit for so long before they fade out. And so you need to be able to then harness that passion and try to infuse it with some vision to say, Hey, like, let's try to, to go after this, you know, Mm -hmm. over the long haul and, and play the long game a little bit. And so I think I'm here to help kind of establish the long game, Mm -hmm. right. Um, for, for the Atlanta run club.
0: Wow. So, um, in, in terms of growth, like what do you kind of envision, um, ARC looking like um, once this growth happens.
1: <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I think I think growth is is in multiple multiple um, arenas, mm-hmm. right? Like I, um, I think the Atlanta Run Club needs to understand its own identity mm-hmm. of like when you say what is the Atlanta Run Club, like it has to have an identity, you know. I think that's the first area of kind of growth, right? Formerly we're a five hundred one c three. But what are we, right? Are we a club? You know, uh, is it, you know, yeah, what mm-hmm. is it? So actually understanding what it is um, and getting its identity. The the second part of growth to me is is um, being a sustainable organization, right? Like that can actually have staff. You know, my five-year goal is literally try to stabilize it to, so they can have like 1.5 like staff members. Oh, wow. Right? So... Yeah. So an executive director that can replace me, and then maybe hopefully someone part time, and obviously there's going to be tons of, you know, volunteers and stuff like that. But for me, like, there has to be a financial growth and stabilization that happens to the organization, mm. um, which happens again uh, for a nonprofit. It's yeah, it's programs, it's impact, it's investors, donors, whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, for me, that's those are where growth kind of starts to. To really happen, mm-hmm. um, and you know, if I can if I can see ARC five years from now, it will have a proper executive director that makes at least what a a youth pastor would make. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it has programs and it has people that say, "Hey, ARC is we need that organization in Atlanta," mm-hmm. you know. Um, I would love to hear testimonies coming out of it, you know, so the mission of ARC, um, our vision is to really start to see um, uh, our city and our communities transformed, you know, through uh, people, Mm. right? And so, you know, our our hope, our working hypothesis is that, you know, when you are active, uh, particularly through the sport of running, Um, It helps kind of create the headspace that you need to, um, you know, just kind of think more clearly, Mm. you know, Um, you start to help realize your own kind of abilities, right? And running really helps you cope with everyday stress, you know, and I think when people have that kind of headspace and that kind of capacity, they can start, they stop focusing on themselves and they start focusing on others, Mm, You know, and our hope is that if we can create that in people through the sport of running, that our our cities and our communities can be transformed. Right. Because people can start caring about things other than themselves. I mean, don't get me wrong. People are always going to care about themselves. Right. But, you know, I think uh, if if we can promote, promote it in a way that, you know, this active lifestyle transforms communities and cities and be able to to be the vehicle for that right help them get there from point a to point c Mm. right um that if we can bridge that gap that in some way like you know
0: we could we could do some good wow that's awesome you know so yeah and and you, you guys are doing something that right now right that actively is gonna be helping a part of the community right
1: yeah 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 um So I'm super stoked. Uh, So we launched this kind of series of uh, activation campaigns runs where we're literally raising dollars for every miles that's being run, right? Like, so we're calling it miles for change. And um, yeah, I thought it was really clever. Yeah, I
0: like the double uh, meaning.
1: Yeah, I don't know if everyone picked up on it, but David, that's why I like you because you're super sharp. Um, but yeah, miles for change, like literally, um, um, you know, for every mile uh, that's run and then logged, uh, ARC will help raise a matching uh, amount, right? Oh, wow. And so our goal, our goal is 3,000 miles in three months, mm-hmm. which equates to $3,000. Uh, and we are partnering. So the beauty of this is we get to partner with other organizations that are doing awesome work, right? Like, so uh, we're partnering with, you know, a good friend of ours, uh, We Love View High. Um, and they've been doing this really cool uh, um, program called Feeding Families of Beaufort Highway. Oh. And they've been, since the pandemic, have been going out and, you know, obviously taking in-kind donations, raising funds to feed families that were affected, uh, on Buford highway. Um, and yeah, and I thought I, I met with Lily, the executive director. I thought it was like super cool. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, we need to figure out how we can get involved, Mm. you know? And I think, you know, it can serve a mission where we can activate people for a cause. Right. And so, uh, if we can collectively do this, um, I think it brings purpose and aligns, um, you know, kind of that that activation component. Wow. Um, So, yeah, so that's that's what we're doing. Um, You know, there's one little wrinkle that we stuck in there because uh, uh, we started a a Strava group. um, And I don't know if you're familiar with Strava, but Strava is a run app and everyone can join a group. And basically I kind of equated to uh, the Facebook of kind of the uh, recreational community. Mm-hmm. So you can do running, biking, swimming, all this kind of stuff. And basically it tracks what you do. And it, there's like forums and groups and, and things like that. And we started one for ARC. And so we have like over a hundred people in that group, uh, which basically, you know, if, yeah, uh, it, if everyone was kind of on it and we did that collective run mm-hmm. that we'd be done in like a week, you know, mm-hmm. cause yeah, you got some like ballers, right? Like you got, you know, you got people that are running like literally like thirteen miles as a warm up, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um yeah, so what 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 we've done is try to, to to make it more of an active process that you would actually run the miles, track it on Strava, and then go onto our website and like submit it, you know, right. as like, Hey, this is the miles that I wanna submit towards, you know, the campaign. Mm-hmm. And so that way we're inviting active participation as opposed to, you know, just passive. Like I just happen to run and just keep logging these miles, but they don't even have any idea what, you know, what those miles are equating mm-hmm. to and why they're running it per se. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, that's miles for change. I'm like super excited about it. So. Is this a um, group it, that
0: anyone can join or do they have to be some sort of member of ARC to be a part of, or how does that work?
1: Yeah. Anyone can join the Strava group. Mm-hmm um yeah i mean yeah anyone it's it's international right so um so
0: so anybody can participate yeah. in the miles for change they can mm, okay
1: yeah but they just have to submit their miles for change mm, right, right. <laughs> um they can't just run miles and expect change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like they need to literally you know contribute their miles as contribution um and then what i'm doing is going and finding uh sponsors um funders that will fund the other side of that Mm. right like so you got people that are running and then you got people that are giving and then we're trying to be the the conduit you know between the two and kind of brokering um you know the the impact with with the the activation
0: wait so just so i'm clear is it a runner will run on the Strava group thing and submit the miles to ARC and they submit the amount of, like if they ran 10 miles, is it they submit $10 as well? And then that gets matched by you guys? Is that how it works?
1: No, they, they literally just say how many miles and they say 10 and they just submit it, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have kind of an active tracker um, that shows kind of the collective miles. Yeah. And yeah, and and then we as ARC will then help match that. Like, you know, we'll find the donors oh, to match that money. I see. Yeah, so we're correct we're we're actually in the midst of uh trying to pull together a um I'm calling it a community run fund. Mm-hmm. It's like a a war chest for community uh work. And so that's kind of a separate its own separate kind of initiative, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that fund will then um, be uh, directly tied to this this particular program, right? Because after 3,000 miles, we, you know, I'm talking to another organization that I'm, you know, hoping to possibly collab with and kind of promote the work that they're doing. And we'll raise money for them and run for them over the summer. And, you know, it's like just running for causes, right? Like we're just running. We're going to run anyway, yeah. right we might as well do some good while we run Mm -hmm. you know or if we want to do good right we might as well just run while we're doing it right like so either way i feel like it's it's kind of a winning proposition if we can just get people off the couch and off their phones and get outside a little bit you know Um,
0: that's awesome yeah so this is actually a really opportune moment for me um the other day my wife not in the mean way in a loving way was uh talking to me about how a I've kind of gained weight over this, uh, pandemic period. Um, and I actually started running. So, uh, um, I ran a marathon last February and I literally haven't run since. Um, like that was my second marathon and I was like, I'm done with running. So I stopped running, but I started running again today. Um, so, Hey, it's uh, a, yeah,
1: make your, make your runs (laughs) count, man. Those are empty miles. If you don't submit them, you know what I mean? It's like empty calories.
0: Yeah, so like you might as well. <laughs> yeah, so for, for the listeners out there who um need motivation to run or you are running, um I think this is miles for change. Is, I think uh, a really good way to, yeah, like like is saying, not let your miles just be empty miles. Um and all the details on that is on the uh, the Instagram page, right?
1: It's on Instagram and our website, AtlantaRunClub.com. Oh, okay. So I would I would invite people to check out I and I think that was the pivot a little bit too like you know I think starting Atlanta Run Club uh, started on Instagram like it was kind of a social media experiment yeah. right like kind of a social experiment in some ways and I think it was largely successful and you know largely due to James and Christian um, being able to bring it life, you know, and, and give it, give it this kind of brand identity that people really kind of jived with. Um, I think one of the moves is in this growth is trying to pull people away from social media, which is again, a whole nother conversation, but, you know, we're trying to move them into, you know, onto the website and getting more information and literally kind of off their phones. In my opinion, I'm like, just get off your, you know, like if we push everything through social media and then are telling them to get off their phones it's kind of this weird mixed messaging where we're like, the only way they can get the information is on their phone, but we want them to go out and run, right? Like, you know, um, so anyway, all that to say, all, all of our information uh, is on our website. Um, yeah, inlandrunclub.com. We got a pretty, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a start, mm. David. It's a start. Humble <laughs> beginnings, you know? And uh, yeah, and so I'm
0: super excited to be a part of oh, it. that's that's so great. You know, and and in yeah, I don't wanna take up too much of your time, so I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask you a favor. Do you think is it possible to record another episode uh later in the future, maybe a few weeks down the line?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean you're totally putting me on the spot. I don't I don't know how I could say no at this point. You're you're like a super Gosh. smart guy, I'm telling you. You gotta watch out for David Shin, man. Like he... He, it's, yes, it's very ca- well-calculated and well-played. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. I, yeah, because,
0: yeah. I mean, we had a uh, bunch of other stuff we wanted to talk about today. Um, but the first part, I w- it was really good, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. And, you know, EJ, you are one of the people that um, constantly kept coming up. Um, when, when I would record with people, they would say, hey, you should have EJ on. Or, like, just in conversation, um, they would say, hey, like, EJ would be really great on your podcast now I'm seeing why they were recommending you you have so much you know to offer so much like, <laughs> input um,
1: David what took you so long then man uh, I mean if all these people were like dropping my name left and right uh, um, you know what
0: <laughs> I'm just no, you I'm know just if I'm if I'm like, honest yeah, um, yeah there's a part of me that is yeah, a little bit please please be honest yeah.
1: everyone's listening please be honest there,
0: there was a part of me that was a little intimidated by you like in the sense that like what value would he get from being on my podcast you know like like that yeah it's weird i don't know it's i'm i'm going to therapy Um, i'm like working on working through these
1: things (laughs) well yeah well i mean do you want to talk about it now like i don't you know
0: i don't No, that's
1: that's very interesting though like that's a very interesting way to psych yourself out
0: yeah so i have this thing where i like you know what, actually, let's save it for the next podcast. I'll, I'll be very, I'll just open okay. it all up for you. And then uh, just let you know kind of my entire thought process of how I got there.
1: Oh, man, this is brilliant. <laughs> See, you're brilliant. See, David, gosh, man, you are, you're smart, man. That's, that's the, this is why your podcast is so successful. It's like cliffhangers. Like, people are like, oh, no, yeah. like we, yeah,
0: you anyway. you have to tune in. Okay. EJ now Good has deal. to come back to hear about it. Yes. Well, um, EJ, really- thank you so much for your time today. Um, I, I know I promised you we would be done at nine. It's nine it's nine thirty, so I'm, I'm so sorry for going over. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for you know your story, your honesty, um, and yeah, I, I get the sense that you have this real um, desire and passion to grow things um, and to really bring um, a, a, a vision path forward for you know a lot of different organizations and. Um, yeah, I think that's something that we can all kind of take away from this conversation. You know, the the importance of uh, no having a vision, the importance of um, seeing the growth opportunities, and and yeah, executing to not just stay still, but to to move forward. Because um, like you were saying, when when things just aren't happening, it you know kind of dies away. So. Um, thank you so much for um, what you shared with us today. I'm really excited about uh, our next episode that that we'll be recording. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. So, guys, if you had any um, you know, feedback on today's episode, please uh, let me know at ihthtpodcast at gmail or on Instagram at uh, I hope they hear this or on Twitter at ihthtpodcast. And um, please make sure to go check out the ARC website. That's AtlantaRunClub.com, right? That's right. Yeah, and, right. and join me yeah. um, in you know, running for change, for the Miles for Change program. Miles <laughs> yeah. for Change, that's right. Yeah, well, <laughs> EJ, again, thank you so much for tonight, that's and nice uh, I'll, t- I'll talk to you next time.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. That was fun.